scripture this morning. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 15, and then also from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. To begin with, we'll read from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 15. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void of the word of God by your traditions, that you have handed down and many such things you do and he called the people to him again and said to them hear me all of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him but the things that come out of a person are what defile him and also we're going to be reading from 1st Peter 1 13 through 16 therefore Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Thank you. Take your Bibles and turn to the passage you just read, 1 Peter chapter 1. That will be our main text for this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1. We will get to the passage in Mark as well, but 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me ask you a question. What does God want for you? What is it that God desires for you to have? And let me, let me put it to you this way. Does God want you happy or does God want you holy? Does God want you so fulfilled in Him that you have a pure joy type of happiness? Or does God want you to be separate from the world even to the detriment of your happiness? I think oftentimes we think that life is about our pleasure. Life is about our happiness. Um, I heard a a story by um, Joe Theismann. Some of you may know who he was. He was a a famous uh, NFL quarterback and uh, he was also one that was not faithful at all to his wife. 
Um, he had had um, relationships outside of marriage with his first wife and also with his second wife. And, and he was explaining it one day, and he said this. He said, I, I know it's not something I'm supposed to do, but don't you think God wants me happy? See, we all want happiness. We hear verses from Psalms that say that God gives us the desire of our heart, and we assume that God's top priority is happiness. But in reality, God wants us to be holy. And that's our text for this morning. It says, be holy, for I am holy. The word holy is not seen in a positive light in today's world. Holiness is not always seen as a virtue, but it's seen as a vice. You say, what do you mean by that? How insulting is it to be called by your friend and told that you are holier than thou? Uh, even in church today, I believe holiness has become rare. You know, oftentimes we, we get saved, we turn to God, and yet our life has little or no change. And that is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel, we've been going through a series of how the gospel impacts us. And, and today we're going to look at how the gospel impacts our holiness because our holiness is something that should be obvious to the world. Even the idea of what Scripture says when numerous times where it says we're to repent. What is the idea of repent? But repent means radical change. Something different. The lifestyle of holiness does not come easy or naturally. And the concept of holiness is taught throughout the Old Testament. But even as it was taught through the Old Testament, the religious leaders distorted it to mean something completely different. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And so I want to start off simply, what is the definition of holiness? What is holiness? Well, the word holy means sacred. It is the idea of set apart to God. It is the idea of something that is distinct. Oftentimes when you define something, you talk about its opposites. What is the opposite of holy? The opposite of holy is two words that seem nothing alike, but they're, they're so much alike in this topic. Number one is common. The opposite of of holy, and it means to be common. God doesn't want us to be common. God wants us to be different, distinct. But not only that, the opposite of holy is profane. And see, what the idea of holy is this, is we are to be so outside of the normal, common, everyday life that there's something different about you. That your, your behavior is in a way that pleases God. And so the definition we see of holiness is set apart from that which is profane to that which is of God. The second thing we want to look at is holiness in the law. This is important. And I want you to hear me out because I think uh, sometimes we miss this. When God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, he wanted them to be different. He wanted them to be holy. He wanted them to be set apart. He wanted them to be unique. And so he gave them the law. Now, when we look at the law, we automatically think of what? We automatically think of the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, the thou shalt nots. But what's interesting is we study the law, the Bible. It is not the thou shalt nots that God ascribes holiness to. When we look at the, the law, we see something interesting because this command in Peter where he says, be holy for I am holy, came from Leviticus. It came from the law. We see it numerous places in the law and it wasn't in Exodus 20 where he says, thou shalt not. In fact, it's somewhere completely different that most of us wouldn't even think of. 
What's interesting is the command, be holy, is found in a section called the ceremonial commands. Most of us, when you read through the Bible, you get to Leviticus and you go as fast as you can because you don't get it. And yet, those are the places where God says, be holy. What does he mean by that? What is it? Why is it that God uses the phrase, be holy, in connection with, with these ceremonial laws? Why? I think there's um, a couple reasons that we could give. First of all, I, I believe that the Ten Commandments, we often think is that if we live the Ten Commandments, then we're living holy, and that set us apart. But remember, the idea of holiness is to be distinct, to be different, to be set apart. But the reality is virtually every civilized nation has some kind of command similar to the Ten Commandments. Virtually every civilized nation understands that you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't commit adultery, you shouldn't murder. Every single one. And so Israel wasn't distinct by following the Ten Commandments. I'm not saying those weren't important. But it wasn't distinct just because they followed the Ten Commandments. They were distinct because they obeyed the ceremonial law. You say, are are we bound to the ceremonial law? No, and I will get into that. And while these distinctions were clearly set out in Leviticus, and we're going to look at some. In fact, if you want to um, go to Leviticus chapter 11, we're going to kind of go through a quick view of, of these ceremonial laws. But when we, when we look at these distinctions, the reason for them was not clearly set out. Let me give you some examples. Why, for example, did God tell the people of Israel... They could eat beef, but they couldn't eat pork. In other words, they could have a cookout and they could have a hamburger, but they couldn't have pulled pork. Why? I mean, that doesn't make sense. There's not a, there's not a logical explanation to that. And many of the distinctions in Leviticus between clean and unclean were, seem arbitrary without rational, logical explanation. I believe the reason for that is because it's by divine design. Because as we look through Scripture, we understand that what sets a true child of God apart from others is their faith in God. Evidenced by obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. We see this other place in Scripture. Let me give you an example. Okay? In Genesis, God came to Adam and Eve and said, you can eat of every tree in this garden. I mean, can you imagine that? You walk around and there's this beautiful plant over here and strawberries and blueberries and whatever your favorite fruit is, put it there. And God said, but you can't eat this one. Why? I mean, it seems so illogical. Why is God saying you can eat all of these, but you can't eat this one? Or let me give you another example sometimes where it doesn't make sense. God came one day to a man by the name of Abraham and said, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to take your son Isaac and I want you to kill him on the altar. I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. 
See, what was, what was God trying to do with Abraham? What was God trying to do with Adam and Eve? What is God trying to do with, with the people of Israel when he gave them the ceremonial law? He was trying to test them and see how strong is their faith. Are they willing to do the obedience in areas that don't make sense? Or are they too much like the world and they do their own thing? So back in Leviticus, I told you to turn there. Let's look at uh, what, what did God tell them to do. And, and in that, he said, this is what's going to set you apart. This is what's going to make you holy. This is what's going to make you distinct. So we see in Leviticus chapter 11, I'm not going to read through it all, but Leviticus chapter 11, he's talking about the clean and unclean foods. And he summarizes it in verse 44. Look what it says there. For I am the Lord your God. Concentrate your consecrate yourself therefore and be holy for i am holy you shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground so they were not supposed to eat locusts that's mentioned here and the idea of that is uh by doing that they were going to be holy again doesn't seem to make logical sense at times in Leviticus chapter 12 through 15, he began going through unclean and clean. He, he said, for example, he said a woman was unclean after the birth of her child. What was interesting, it says that she was unclean for a longer period of time if she had a girl than if she had a boy. It seems to be different, right? We see also in chapter 14 and 15 of Leviticus, it said that a person with leprosy was unclean. Say, why, why is he going through all this? He comes to Leviticus chapter 16, and God kind of puts in a parenthesis there. In Leviticus chapter 16, he takes a break from clean and unclean, and he, and he begins to describe something called the Day of Atonement. What was the Day of Atonement? See, what was the realization was, was they could not live their life free from this, these unclean things. They were going to sin, and so therefore, by doing that, they became unholy but God didn't want them to stay unholy. So he established something called the Day of Atonement. And what that was, was that was their, their time when they would offer sacrifices, which would be a temporary cleansing of their sins. After he talked about the Day of Atonement, in the next few chapters in Leviticus, he, he encourages them to be holy over and over and over again. And he, and he explains in different areas. He talks about how they sacrifice he talks about their sexual purity. He talks about their respect for parents. He talks about generosity to the poor. He talks about honesty, justice, love for neighbors. And then he sums up all of this section on, on all of these ceremonial laws by saying this in Leviticus chapter 20. He says, you shall be holy to me. For I am the, I am the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Here, what God taught them was this. My desire for you to be holy, and this is what it looks like. And he gave them a list of all of these things, and he said, this is what holiness is. Now, what happened was, is over time, the people of Israel began to follow the letter of the law. Oh, they would eat just the right things. They would do just the right things. And Jesus comes along and says, but here's the problem. You're not really holy. 
So we get into what was holiness taught by Jesus. Because when Jesus began to find holiness, what they found out was it was, it was radically different than what they believed. Because they believed if I, if I hold tightly to this, this code, this rule, this law, then I'm okay. And yet Jesus comes along in, in his famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. He taught something completely different. He taught that those who were blessed were the ones that the Jews thought of as accursed. In fact, he said this about the, about the religious leaders. He said, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter kingdom of heaven. See, we don't get that because we don't understand what they were doing, but for the people of Israel, these religious leaders, they were, they were the epitome of holiness. And Jesus said no. Because it was all about an appearance. And it lacked heart. The passage that Pastor Will read a few moments ago in Mark describes an incident that laid this foundation for this this radical change of the view of what holiness was to the people of Israel. If you look back in this passage in Mark, I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but in Mark, um, what takes place is very simple, and that is the scribes and the Pharisees, they're sitting around and they watch Jesus' disciples come in and they eat. And they were upset because Jesus' disciples did not ceremonially cleanse their hands. Now, I want to explain something here. He is not saying that the disciples didn't wash their hands. Okay? Because sometimes we think, listen to that and we go, well, that's kind of disgusting. I mean, they just sat down and ate and they didn't wash their hands. No, that's not the idea. This, this hand washing is not what you as moms tell your kids to do before dinner. Okay? This is not where you sit in front, put soap, water, go like this. And, um, you know, my mom taught me to sing happy birthday while I was doing that. How many of you did that? Okay, a few. That was not what they were talking about here. This ceremonial hand washing was this huge, elaborate thing that they had to go through in this detail after detail after detail of washing their hands and making sure every little spot was clean, not for the purpose of cleanliness, but for the purpose of ritual. And so Jesus is saying here, you you guys are all bothered about this. And this ceremonial cleansing was not what the Old Testament required. You look back through all those things we talked about in Leviticus, nowhere in there does it tell you that they had to do this elaborate hand washing. What had happened was, is for the religious leaders, they had taken these extra laws and they had added these extra laws to what was written in Leviticus. And then they, not only did they add them to it, but they put them to the level of what Jesus gave, or what God gave them in the law. And the Jews, they were, were doing something and they were adding to it. And Jesus is pointing out, though, in this passage in Mark, that it's actually even worse than that. To add human standards to those of God is one thing, but what they were doing is, is they were actually using these human standards to violate God's law. Let's look at this passage, if we will. Mark chapter 7. And um, I want you to look at verse 9. I'm just going to read a portion of it. He says to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your traditions. 
See, Jesus is switching gears. He's not going to talk about the hand-washing thing. He's going to switch gears to something else. And he says this, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. It's something that they were required to do. Now, that honoring of mom and dad meant more than just being nice to them. Okay, If you go back and look at the law, it meant that they were supposed to take care of them, and, and they were supposed to take care of them when they financially couldn't take care of themselves. They were supposed to... Um, do whatever they could to provide for them. And this included caring for them in time of need. And yet the Jews had divide, devised a way to avoid this financial liability. Here's what they had done. To avoid having to help mom and dad out financially, what they would do was they would say, well, this money that I was going to give to mom and dad has been dedicated to the Lord. That's where we get the, the that's where the word is seen in their Corbin. And so they would say, No, this this money, let's say it's over here, this hundred dollars, this hundred dollars was supposed to go to mom and dad, but it's Corbin. It's dedicated to the Lord, and so I have to give it to the Lord. And so what they would do was they would give it to the Lord and avoid taking care of mom and dad. If that wasn't enough, then what they would do is this they would say, Well, I've already given money, Corbin, to the Lord. And so they would hold back some of their other offerings. You see what they were doing there? They were taking the law and they were devising a way to meet their own needs. And to rebel against God's law openly is one thing, but to do so by defining it as holy is quite another. And that's what they were doing. They were saying, hey, it's Corbin, it's holy, it's of God. And God was saying, no. Jesus was reminding them here in this passage, you've you've forgotten the law. See, because cleanliness and holiness is not a matter of externalism. It's a matter of the heart. And what, what God was trying to teach the people of Israel in Leviticus, and what Jesus is trying to teach us here in Mark, and later on, what Peter is going to be teaching us as we look at the passage in Peter, is that holiness is not an external show. Holiness is something that comes from the heart. Cleanliness was not a matter of the outside, it was a matter of the heart. The food, whether, whether you know, for a Jew to go to a family picnic and eat a pulled pork sandwich... What, what Jesus said is that food was not what made them unholy. What made them unholy was their heart, their attitude of rebellion. Why was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to be avo- avoided by uh, Adam and Eve? For one reason and one reason only, because God declared it to be avoided by Adam and Eve. See, holiness is not just an, an external show. And so often we think that's what it is. If I just live this way, I'm going to be okay. And what he was saying is, no, it's, it's about our hearts. Why were some meats clean and others unclean? Because God declared them to be that way. And then we can take it even another step further. Why are sinners deemed to be righteous, forgiven, and destined for heaven. It's not because of anything they did, but it's because God declared them to be justified. 
And the basis for that cleansing is the work of Jesus Christ, the gospel. I want you to notice, um, we talked about the Day of Atonement. Notice what it says in Leviticus chapter 16. For on this day, the Day of Atonement, shall the atonement be made for you by, uh, to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. You know, for the people of Israel, that's what they wanted. They wanted cleansing. We see that in, in Psalms when David is speaking. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from all my sin. See, they knew that they had sin in their lives and their desire was that God cleanse them, that God make them pure, that God make them different, holy, set apart, unique from that which is profane. But their day of atonement never did it. It was only because Jesus Christ came and died on the cross that we can ever really be free from our sin. Notice what it says in Hebrews describing that. It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more the blood of Christ. See, for the people of Israel... That day of atonement was just, it was a picture of something to come. And that something to come was Jesus Christ. And as a child of God today, we live with the ability to live holy, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And I don't think Peter or his disciples understood that completely until Jesus died. So when we come to our text, and we're going to just wrap up in the next few moments in 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to look at the appeal for holiness. Based on all that we just talked about, what holiness was in the Old Testament, and how that, that the appearance of holiness failed with the Jews then what does God want from you and I? And why did Peter quote, <clears throat> excuse me, quote from Leviticus of all places when he called for us to be holy? So look what it says again in this passage. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But he has called you as holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, be holy, for I am holy. In these three verses, Peter tells us why we should be holy, and then he also tells us how to be holy. So let's look at those. First of all, why are we to be holy? Why are we to be holy? There's two reasons. First one is we are to be holy uh, so that we are obedient to the Word of God. We are to be holy so that we are obedient to the Word of God. Peter calls for holiness. Notice the repetition of the command given there. You shall be holy. Members of First Baptist Church, those in attendance today, I want to ask you this question. Are you holy? Are you? Remember what the definition of holiness is? Are you separate? Are you called apart from that which is common? That which is profane? Are you different? 
Is there a distinction between you and those that are unsaved? See, this command here was never given to unbelievers. This command is given to you and I as Christians. We are to be holy. But secondly, why are we to be holy? Because we are to be like God. The command is for the children of God, and we are to be different. In 1 Corinthians, it says we are called saints. What does the word saint mean? It means set-apart ones or holy ones. But what I think is the problem is so many Christians, we try to, we actually want to do the exact opposite. We want to blend in with the world. The Bible says we're to be separate. We're to be holy. We're to be distinct. Now, nowhere in Scripture do I see that we're to be so separate that we hide ourselves from the world. The Bible tells us we're to be in the world, but not of the world. So why are we to be holy, to be obedient, to be like God? But secondly, I'm going to wrap up here. How are we to be holy? We see four things. First of all, we're to be holy in all our actions. Look back in the passage again. He says there, be holy in all your conduct. Be holy in every aspect of your behavior. Holiness is not compartmentalized into certain religious areas of our life. Holiness is a way of life. You are to be holy in the way that you interact with your coworkers. You're to be holy in the way that you respect your boss. You're to be holy in the way that you um, interact with your kids. You're to be holy in what you watch on television. You're to be holy in the words that you say. You're to be holy in every aspect of your life. You are to be distinct. Are you? I remember years ago, <clears throat> worked a job at a sports store. And one day we were sitting in the lunchroom. The television was on, is pretty much was on all the time in the, in the break room. And there was a television show on, and it was not something I wanted to view as a Christian. I knew I shouldn't. And so I went over and sat kind of in the corner and just kind of was reading a book. And, and one of my coworkers looked at me and said, so what's wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? He said, the rest of us are watching this show. Why, do you have a problem with it? And I said, yeah, actually I do. And after that, they, they began to, he, he began to make fun of me. He said, what are you a... Are you a goody two-shoes? And I said, no, I'm just trying to be an obedient child of God. And I had, later on, one of my other workers, co-workers pulled me aside and he said to me, you know what, I'm a Christian, but I wasn't being different. Thank you for reminding me of that. We are to be different in our actions, not, not odd, not peculiar in the sense that people look at us and think, man, they're, they're weird. But no, we're to be different. Scripture says that in every aspect of our life. Holiness is something that should be a lifestyle, not just a list of rules that we conform to, but it's a change of lifestyle. We should be different. Secondly, we are to be holy by not being conformed to the sinful 
passions, our former sinful passions. Look, if you will, in the passage there, it says, do not be conformed. Do not be molded into the passions of your former ignorance. See, holiness is a lifestyle which differs dramatically from our our manner of life before we were saved. And it should be. When God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, He called them to live in a way that set them apart from the Egyptians. He called them to live in a way that made it obvious that they were His children. And then He called them into a place of Canaan, and He wanted them to be distinct from the Canaanites. He said, I want you to be holy, different, distinct. See, holiness is a choice to be more like God. Rather than live as the culture encourages us to be, we must live as God requires. Now, it may sound strange here to think of being conformed to our own desires, but that's precisely what happens. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? What is Paul saying there? You're going to be a slave to someone. Who is it? If you're living your life in such a way where you're doing those things that characterize you before you were saved, and you're still living that way, you're not a slave or a servant to God. You're a slave to your sin. Romans tells us that God's creation bears witness to who He is. Romans chapter 1, that that, that creation bears witness, but, but men have chosen to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And because of this, the Bible tells us in Romans that God gave man up to their lusts and to the pursuit of their lusts, and their minds became distorted. And so men have become not only mastered by their lusts, but conformed into them. What happens is over time you don't even realize it. And he's telling us as Christians we are not to be that way. And though the Christian has died to sin, and though Jesus Christ's death of the cross has set us free from sin, yet we still must choose to serve Him. We still must master sin every day in our life. That's why in 1 Corinthians it says this, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. And I keep it under control. Lest after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. Here what Paul is saying is this. There's an important principle here. That I've got to keep myself under submission. Let's be honest here. Our flesh, our body wants to do things that are contrary to God. And we have to say no. 
We have to say, no, I, I can't do that anymore. And Paul, Paul and Peter both lay out a principle here that's very important, that's hard for us to grasp. What they're saying is, is these former desires ought not to be something that are possessed by a child of God. The desires would characterize the fallen world we live in once dominated us. But we're to reject them. But I want to show you something next that I think is hard for us to understand. And I want to take you back to Leviticus to explain this because Leviticus teaches us an important lesson about holiness. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 10, and, and I t- told you in that passage, it's talking about unclean and clean things that they could eat. But I want you to notice what it says there. But anything in the seas and the rivers does that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the water and the living creatures that are in the waters. Notice what it says. It is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. It is not enough for the people of Israel, it was not enough for the people of Israel to avoid eating what God declared unclean. No, they must loathe it. They must hate it. They must detest it. Because they were to adjust their desires to conform to God's desires. They were to delight in what God found delightful and they were to loathe what God found detestable. Now this command is seen not just in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament in Romans. What does he say there? Abhor that which is evil. Abhor it. I think what's happened too much as Christians is we've come to the point where we, we don't abhor it. Yeah, we know it's not right, but we love it. When we understand and apply this truth, we find a great deal of practical help. We are not nearly uh, as likely to participate in things we find detestable as those we find delight in, that we find delight in. Let me give you an example of this. Some of you know I, I stay up late and study a lot of times. and Every once in a while, I'm up late at night and suddenly I get hungry. Any of you ever get like that? Okay, suddenly I get hungry. Now, sometimes I will go to the fridge and I'll open up the fridge and see what is there. Now imagine I woke up, uh, I got up and I went up to look into the fridge and I opened the fridge and, and I realized that sitting next to the fridge was a bag of tortilla chips. And in the fridge there was two items. There was salsa and there was guacamole. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you would choose the salsa? How many of you would choose the guacamole? Okay, you people are insane. I detest, sorry, I detest guacamole. Call me weird. Call me strange. That's okay. I'm being holy. No, just kidding. <laughs> I don't like guacamole. So if I looked in the fridge and there's a thing of guacamole, and there's a th- it could be the best guacamole made in the history of mankind. And right next to it's a thing of salsa. You know what I'm going to take? The salsa. Because I like salsa. I love salsa. But you know what? I don't like guacamole. 
And that's the idea of what we're talking about in this passage here. And as we're going through, when we talk about the areas of holiness, in Leviticus they were told it's not just enough to say, "Mm, man, I really like guacamole, but I know I should stay away from it. I want to stay away from it. It's really good. I got to stay away from it. No, what he said is we need to change our desires in such that we begin to detest it. And then, you know what happens when we begin to test it? It doesn't have the same appeal. If I open my fridge and there's guacamole in there, you know what? There's never going to be a day where I said, where I say, yes, guacamole. Our problem is become, becomes evident when our desires do not often conform to those which God delights in. We often desire the very thing which displeases God. And Paul admonishes us here in this passage in verse 14 again, as obedient children, do not be conformed to those passions of your former ignorance. Do not. So how are we to be holy? We are to be holy in all our conduct or be holy by not conforming to our sinful passions. And thirdly, we are to be holy by imitating God. Now, this was the why, this is also the how. We are to be holy by living like God. In Matthew it says this, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This means that we first must come to know what God likes, doesn't it? See, I think that's the problem with many Christians, is they don't even know what God likes, and so they don't live according to holiness because they don't know what God's desire is and what God's love is and what God's passion is. So we need to know who He is. And then by the grace of God, we need to seek to conduct ourselves in a manner that imitates God. We must love what He loves. We must hate what He hates. We must be like Him. We must be merciful. We must be kind. We must be just. We must be loving. This is what sanctification is all about. This is changing in our lives from day to day to become more like God. That is holiness. And so when He says in this passage, Be holy, for I am holy. But I think that one of the big problems, and I've said this before, one of the big problems is as Christians is we divide, we put a line in the sand, so to speak. And we say anything on this side of that line is is unholy, ungodly. It shouldn't be something that a Christian should do. And so what we do is this, is we get as close to that line as we possibly can. And that's not the idea of this passage. This idea of this passage is, is be, strive to be more like God. Strive to be exactly like God. Now, can, can we get to perfection? Not in this lifetime, no. We're supposed to be holy in the way that we act. And then finally, and this is also a, a why and a how that we talked about earlier, but We are to be holy by obeying God's word. He says in this passage, as obedient children. 
Because the standard of holiness is set down in his word. And that's, that, man, that's going to take time for you to dive into and find out what exactly that is, what God wants you to do. But that is why Peter quotes from the Old Testament law. We are to be obedient. And that obedience is directed towards his commands and his standards as set down in his word. Holiness is accomplished in our life as the Spirit of God enables us to know God and to obey Him and His Word. So the call this morning is a clear, clear one. But to be honest, it's not a popular one. It's not a popular call to stand up and say, Be holy. But it's the call God has made of His people ever since the Exodus and they left Egypt. It was a call to be different. A call to be set apart from that which is common, from that which is profane. To become more like Christ. See, some would say that God has called you to be happy. And actually, I believe that's true. But it is only until we begin to live a holy life that happiness, true happiness, comes it is holiness which sets us apart from the world and to god it is holiness that we are called to pursue and to practice to the glory of god and for our own good the question is for you today will you heed the call to holiness will you do that as peter said be holy for i am holy let's pray god we are thankful for the blessing of knowing you and following you, and I just pray that you'll help us. Lord, I didn't make a lot of application this morning. I pray that you will do that in the lives of the, of the believers that are here today. Make application of areas where maybe they're not living in a way that is pleasing to you. They're not living holy. And I pray that you will show that. And Lord, help us to be courageous enough to change. Lord, you don't want us to be like the world. You make that very clear. The world system is established by, by Satan, and you want us to be distinct from that. So, Lord, I pray that you help us to know what that is and to have the courage to change. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.